This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jones. check sure 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 one two one two mic check one two. Oh, you good to go okay all right ladies and gentlemen this is an eagerly podcast go by the name of preach jacobs we're sponsored by mo better soul clothing go to mo better soul.com enter code negro to save 10 percent on your next order man buy something <laughs> buy something <laughs> it's been a while since i've been on here guys um because nigga has been busy uh but i have a return guest in the building like um usually i just say your name but i but i I'm looking at this other pod that she did, so I'm going to read all the stuff they had. There was no a site. Um, we are joined by Dr. Napoleon Wells, a licensed clinical psychologist, a TEDx presenter, and author. Um, oh, they has some other stuff they said that I'm not going to say. But anyways. Yeah, no, um, no, no, that, we, we don't need to say a whole lot. I mean, basically, I'm psychology sensei. Ah, if, there you go. If the person <laughs> hasn't been in my dojo in some way, I don't trust anything they say about psychology. There you go. Oh, we, we're definitely going to have to touch on that a little bit. Sure. Um Oh man, like I'm, I'm excited because this is a this is a return visit for you. Mm-hmm. Is this what the third or fourth episode you've done? I think this is my third now. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we still need to do the pie together, but we'll for figure sure. it out for sure. Um, so I kind of wanted to dive into a few things, and it's really really interesting. Um, I think first things first, as you wear your Knicks jacket, yes, sir. I had this thought, and I'm gonna tie this into the first to- topic. I had this thought like. When I watched the season opener with the Knicks and the mm-hmm. Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. you saw that one. Of course, I did. You saw it. one yeah. of the best games I've the ever seen. Man. Insane! Yeah. yeah, the yeah, yeah. first thing that ran through my mind mm-hmm. seeing that, mm-hmm. I was just like, Kevin Durant and Kyrie should be, should be, should regret not coming to the Knicks. Okay. Seeing, okay. seeing that type of that energy, energy. Yeah. I was just like, "There's yeah. no, there's no fucking way." Yeah. Like I don't care if, if Brooklyn wins the title. There's right. no way. How would you not if you're a basketball head? Even right. if you're, you know what, you know why I like the Knicks fans is that even if you're not a Knicks fan, mm-hmm. if the Knicks win, I'm happy for Knicks fans. I, I appreciate that. You, you know what I, I'm I think folks are in either that camp or the direct opposite camp, the diametrically opposed camp where they enjoy the adversity. The I mean, Knicks unless face. unless you're like a Boston fan, I get right. it. But it's like, but it's not like you know. It's not like the Cowboys, and it's like right, a lot of times, right. like you know, the Cowboys are great this year. I'm an Eagles fan, but the the Cowboys fans make it so difficult to it's like difficult the Cowboys. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, so yeah. like to see that type of energy at the Garden, I'm just excited for I'll, it. You know, I'll tell you what, I'm in many ways now, and I know I struggled initially with Durant and Kyrie not coming. I understood why they mm-hmm. didn't want to sign. Mm-hmm. But them not signing suggests to me why they wouldn't be good Knicks, mm. right? If you're going to be a Nick, there's a certain kind of adversity you have to be prepared to face, whether mm-hmm. it be from management, the press, fans. Mm-hmm. Some of your life is naturally going to be hard. Yeah. Like, I look at how hard Julius Randle has to work to score one bucket. Yes. He's not a natural one score. He has to work his ass off to get a bucket. That is the Knicks way. Yeah, Patrick Ewing is seven feet tall, shooting jump shots <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Exactly. Anthony Mason is built like a defensive lineman yes. trying to drive to the basket. John Starks being an undrafted free agent, mm-hmm. making it to the all like 
to be a Nick and to be a Knicks fan is about adversity. Hell, we should. The game the other night. Yeah. Double overtime. Dog. Dog. Trying to beat a Boston team where Jalen Brown goes for 46 yep. points. Yep. That's the most Knicks thing ever. I, I love it. <laughs> the most and, Knicks and at the end of the outcome game, ever. It was just like they asked Randall, what, how you feeling? He's like, I want to go to sleep. I'm going to sleep. I ain't even eating. <laughs> yeah. I'm hungry. I ain't even eating. I'm going to bed. <laughs> All right. So to tie it into what I'm saying, uh-huh. if because we always try to talk about, oh, you know, players wouldn't play in this era and they couldn't play in that era. Sure. But there's some stuff in the old era that I really appreciate. Okay. If Kyrie was on the Knicks uh-huh. and Charles Oakley was his teammate, couldn't happen. Do you think this shit would be going on right now? No. Um, you, what you've described could not happen <laughs> because think about Oak in the '90s, absolutely, right? and the way in which he abused and, quite honestly, he abused somewhat unnecessarily younger yeah, players. Yeah. Our guards, especially the younger guards, mm-hmm. had such toughness about them. They would describe Oak in practice. Mm-hmm. The only dude he didn't beat on was Derek Harper. And I think in some ways he was a little afraid of Derek Harper. <laughs> Derek Harper was a bad dude. Really? And I only realized how bad he was when Oak was like, man, I don't touch Harper. Really? That said to me everything Yo. I needed to understand about him. I did not know that. But I'll tell you what, Kyrie as a player couldn't mm-hmm. have existed in the 90s. It's because of the point of reality and mm-hmm. history that we're in right now, you can have a Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving having his attitude in the 90s, he would have had every team, every player around the league gunning for him. Mm-hmm. And where you can't lay a finger on players oh, yeah. Hand now. Hand check back then, you could. Oof. In the 80s and the 90s, you could beat someone to death. Driving yeah. to the whole practices would have been brutal. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, he wouldn't have been as indulged. Yeah. You didn't have a star like Kyrie at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? What you had was Isaiah Thomas. Yeah who was your league's representative point guard, or you had John Stockton. Mm-hmm. No one cares what you think. Lead your team. Absolutely. Kyrie isn't built naturally that way. He's a yeah. child of his generation. And I'm not trying to pick on his generation, but yeah. he's a child of it. Oh, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And like, there's like a, a few things that I read where I don't know all the history of Kyrie, but they were saying that like a lot of these players – they, they're experiencing like a suspended adolescence type of thing Absolutely. where it's just like you can mm-hmm. see certain childhood things yeah. going on with them and and you just see them trying to figure some some shit out so it's like you know you you helped me with this column that I did for the Post and Courier mm-hmm. and it was it was an interesting column because I needed to reach out to a local rapper because the idea was basically hip hop's generation with anti-vaxxing sure and a lot of it came from you know, me looking on Instagram feeds and a lot of people that I've like just loved growing up, you know, Pete Rock would say some weird anti-vaccine yeah. stuff yeah, on yeah. there. Maceo would say some stuff. Yeah. And, and I would see that when when they were announcing that Kyrie wouldn't be able to play. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rappers reposting this picture mm-hmm. and they're like, yo, good for we you. Support you. Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. And so. And so, like, I needed to have a local touch on it. So I, I reached out to a local rapper that I didn't. I didn't know if he was an anti-vaxxer or not because he didn't okay. say anything about it, but mm-hmm. he would post some stuff on his page that me okay. feel like, okay. He said something when it was like- I see some language here. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, you know, mm-hmm. um, y'all trust in science, I trust in God, can I get an amen? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, Ooh. let me look at this, you know? Okay. And so so I so I reached out to him and I, and I wanted to be able to write a column without any judgment okay. and just sincerely be like, you know, from a hip hop generation, and I throw Kyrie in that, that even though Kyrie's not a, a rapper, mm-hmm. you know, he has the greatest handles I've ever seen, and he's playing in Brooklyn. Right. That's really kind of hip hop y. You Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, 
where is this coming from? You know what I'm saying? Like, where, where's the self-awareness, right? Because it's like, I understand that, like, you know, there's a thing where hip-hop just kind of bucks against the system. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything is kind of muddied because you would think hip-hop bucks the system. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Donald Trump Jr. and Ted Cruz starts supporting what I'm saying, mm-hmm. there needs to be some self-reflection to be like, all right, what am I doing this here? This is problematic. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And so, yeah. like, there's so much stuff going on that I don't know what's left. I don't know mm-hmm. what's right. So my, my bigger question is, do you see a correlation between a hip hop generation and anti-vaxxing and where that's coming from? Because literally last night mm-hmm. there was this uh, report that Ice Cube is passing up $9 million to be in this movie mm-hmm. because he's refusing to get vaccinated. Yeah, I think some of the problem comes from, and I shouldn't call is it, a pro- yeah, it's a problem. I'm going to call it a problem. Some of the problem emerges with the kind of psychological and emotional space that hip hop is in right now. Mm-hmm. So when you grow to a certain point, you can't help but be right in the eyes of many, mm-hmm. no matter what it is you say, mm-hmm. right? So at the point where Jay-Z was becoming a superstar before he had his further evolution and awakening that he has now, mm-hmm. He could say something along the lines of like, nah, we gotta get a lot of bitches, get a lot of money, and I'm gonna tell you why and how. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of folks who would thumbs up, because this is Jay-Z saying this. This yeah. is the point that he's gotten to. Hip-hop in general now, being the biggest, most listened to music on planet Earth at this point, has grown to a point where the psychology becomes almost fact. Uh-huh. Our experience, our psychology, our belief mm-hmm. matters and is important and should be listened to. So you have individual rappers, individuals within this generation who now are accustomed to people simply agreeing with them. Yeah. My point of view is a sound one. If I say it, it's right. Yeah. Those who I talk to, they're agreeing with me. I am in fact right. So we've almost indulged the child to the point where the child believes that their point of view is grounded in fact. Yeah. As opposed to holding hip hop, our child in the generation that we are in accountable for developing understanding, a knowledge base. Mm -hmm. These kids are simply going and looking up information, but having access to information and knowing how to sift through and make sense of information are totally different. We've not taught them the skill set and not aided them in developing that skill set. There was a book, I forgot the name of the book, but it was talking about that that specific phenomenon where it's just like this generation has the most access to information. It's everywhere and they can get their hands on it immediately. But a hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. people were more skilled Absolutely. Because even if you don't have access to all this information, right. if you were going to learn to be a carpenter, you had to learn that shit. You had to learn those Every particular day. skills. You know? and so there wasn't this... any YouTube tutorial exactly. for it. Right? <laughs> so, so in a weird way, like the more access that we have, it's like you know, like kids might not know the multiplication tables if they have their sure. phone with them all day mm-hmm. now. You know? um, the thing that kills me, here's the thing that kills me. It's like two things that, that really frustrate me. And, and I go back to like the Nikki thing, because that's how I opened my, my column. Right. I was basically like, it started off with swollen testicles. Right. right. And and Nikki was just like, oh well, two things that kills me is is one, when people say, I'm doing more research, mm-hmm. and two, if they're saying I haven't gotten the vaccine yet, right? Those are the two things that bother the fuck out of me I because why. Be, because <laughs> because you know they're disingenuous. It's like you know if you say, you know, I'm I need to do more research. It's like all right, well, Nikki. All right, Kyrie, you guys have access to some mm-hmm. of the greatest doctors here. Mm-hmm. You can probably call Dr. Fauci right now, sure. and he'll answer the sure. phone. You know what I'm sure. saying? You have the ability to talk to the leading experts here. Mm-hmm. So 
your research, what's your research? A lot of times the research is some weird YouTube page right. with low resolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the other part about is like, oh, I haven't gotten it yet. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, just say you're not going to do it. Just say you're not going to do just it. Say you're not going to do that's it. That's essentially what that means. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it frustrates me. And, and, and the thing that kills me about the Kyrie thing was that here's the other thing I think about this generation that ends up happening. I think this generation has the ability to get people's attention mm-hmm. and as soon as like all right we have you know we're paying attention to you mm-hmm. now what do you have to say mm-hmm. they just go radio silent yeah so it's, it's a blown opportunity very yeah. often yeah and so and so the Kyrie thing was just really really interesting to me and I'm and I'm like just thinking about like you know I don't know and I think I, I think the bigger thing is I don't know what can happen if somebody, if Kyrie says, damn, I've gotten all this information, mm-hmm. um, I was really wrong about this. Sure. But I can't jump out the window now. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue I have with Kyrie is he is the type of thinker, at least as he presents himself in public, who has had people who are less informed than he is, who are vapid humans, mm-hmm. tell him how bright and interesting he is. Mm-hmm. Kyrie presents as someone who has had a lot of people around him treat him as if he is sage. Mm. And he's not said or done anything to suggest he is. Yeah. Right. And so, and social media contributes to this in some way. People kind of gravitate towards certain types of personalities. Yeah. And if they appear to be similar to them in some way, but more informed, mm-hmm. at least as far as they can tell, then they run with it. It's very simple. Call your doctor. Yeah, and have a conversation. That's the have thing a conversation. It, like it really is all the research that you need to do at this point. Is in if you aren't comfortable with that doctor, talk to someone who has one who they're comfortable with. That the research is simple and there's easy access yeah. where that is concerned. What many people fundamentally mean is I'm going to search until I find the answer that I want. Well, I, um, confirmation believe, bias. Absolutely, yeah. there has to be confirmation of what it is I already believe. There's something wrong with this and. To be fair, to try and have a balanced conversation, I understand why our community looks at anything that is being immediately rolled out, mm-hmm. especially by our government. I understand them being incredulous to a degree. Mm-hmm. right? There, it doesn't look like nihilism to me in any way. It feels more like a certain kind of caution for some very careful people. Yeah. But with what we know at this point, yeah. right? it's no longer caution. It's obstinance at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I- that can just plain be dangerous. You're not playing a game wherein you are saying that I'm trying to wake up certain closed minds to this thing. You simply are trying to present yourself yeah. as being counter. And it's literally going to cost lives and has done so. Well, the, the one thing that just kills me about it, because like the way I ended the, the column was that I went to um, the the local, like uh, I guess, CDC site or whatever it was. Okay. But, it's a, but it's the site that basically says – if you're going to public school in South Carolina, mm-hmm. which I went to public schools, right. here's a list of all the vaccines you have to take. Okay. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Right. And in so, order to go to school. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and so like a lot of these people have gone to public schools mm-hmm. and and if you tell them like, hey, you've taken vaccines before, like mm-hmm. like when last time you felt polish, right. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, when the last time you had a whooping had cough. Me- measles, mumps, <laughs> yeah, and rubella. You know like, Come on, man. <laughs> You know, so the question would be, why is this where the pushback comes from? Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I, it's I, I think ultimately the one thing that kills me about it is that 
if there's people that don't take the vaccine, right. I've, I've heard some people talk about this and I thought this was really interesting. Like, you know, there could be someone saying like, hey, I have a respiratory issue. My doctor mm-hmm. said, be careful, this and this and that. And you have people that don't take it, but they operate the way we operated before right. we had a vaccine, exactly. right? Like they're wearing their mask all the time, mm-hmm. they're, shaking, they, they, they're washing their hands, doing this mm-hmm. and this and that. The kills the things that kills me is the people that choose not to take the vaccine are the most careless motherfuckers. Absolutely, out of the because <laughs> the rest of us are just supposed to protect them. Yeah. For them, evidence of them not being dead is evidence they won't die. Ooh. Which is, which is terrible. <laughs> it's the worst way to approach it because the argument that we are fundamentally making with Yo. people is listen, it's not simply about your health and well being. Mm-hmm. Right. We are talking about protecting those who are vulnerable. Yeah. They're counting on us to do so. It's, it's like, no, listen, I can cross the street and not be hit because all of you have breaks. Dude, don't put me in a position <sighs> wow. where I have to live this way. Right? What? Yo. I, I'll tell you what I find probably most disturbing about it. And I think that the vaccination issue is at the core of it. But how we as a generation, right, and you and I are both members of the generation where hip hop came in and every mm-hmm. generation after, We've allowed certain people to be thought leaders who have no business being thought leaders. Mm. I don't care about anything Nicki Minaj thinks. Yeah. But there are millions of people who do. And the question would be, well, yes. well why would you? Yeah. Right. That she has no medical background. Why would you? And she's not demonstrated any desire to really learn about the issue. Yeah. Why do I care about what Kyrie Irving thinks? Why do I care about what Lil Wayne thinks? About certain things, sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Lil Wayne, tell me about your locks. You have yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Right? Tell me something about that. Well, what is your care for those? Kyrie, how did you develop your crossover? Yeah. Be a thought leader in that area. Yeah. And I hate to reduce people, yeah. but they've demonstrated that they haven't developed themselves fully as people. What is dangerous is in the era in which we live, the individuals who we've empowered to be thought leaders, mm-hmm. who we've empowered to shape conversations, and then as a result, who we dismiss going in the other way. I can't listen to that person. I can't hear that person. They're too difficult to listen to. They don't express it in a way that yeah. feels good to me. It, it doesn't make it through my filter. I think the problem isn't some of with the filter. How have we helped our generation to learn how to think about things yeah. and absorb information? I mean, you know, it's so crazy to it doesn't it feels so long ago, but it's so recent that that we would literally have Trump arguing with Dr. Fauci, and it's just like, right. you know, how and how about giving, a medical issue? Giving medical advice, like, yo, <laughs> right. I know this is the leading guy with this field. Right. Fuck all that. I'm <laughs> right. gonna say this. I'm gonna tell you this, and yeah. people were just cool with it. Now, right. now, speaking of like thought leaders and people that uh <laughs> that are on social media, something else that I wrote about I thought was really interesting, and, and I'm a, and I'm gonna tap into your something you said on an IG feed that I thought this was really great. You said we must find some way to ensure that American public be required to have a license and certification before using in public terms like self-care, narcissistic, toxic, intentional, and my truth. It's yeah, all wrong man. out here. All wrong. <laughs> all wrong, bro. <laughs> we we are letting people carelessly. Yes. And, and put it like this: I think what I've observed with the American public is that there is pretty consistently an approach when I want to have an easy answer for why all of the things are happening. Mm -hmm. What I don't see around the concepts of Mm self-care, the idea of even narcissism, right? This person has made me feel a way. Mm -hmm. They're a narcissist. And let me look up what the definition is, right? And these are all complicated 
yeah. emotional concepts. These are all complicated human concepts. But we're letting people very carelessly wield them. And these things are weapons in the hands of some people. There's someone somewhere right now who's referring to both you and I as a narcissist. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. Because we've said or done a thing mm-hmm. that has made them feel in some way negative about us or about themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And instead of simply processing the emotion and processing what the motive is, mm-hmm. they go to narcissistic. Right. They go to toxic. They, yeah. in fact, go to, well, you have decentered. There are so many terms that we've given to the American public and they're wielding them like grenades yeah, yeah, and then throwing them to others without carefully learning, okay, what do I know about myself before I engage with other people, mm-hmm. right? And it ties in some way to what we're talking about with the psychology of hip-hop and yeah. that there's an overall American psychology. Mm-hmm. As soon as I learn a term, let me very carelessly research the term <laughs> and yeah. now I have a club that I can join. I remember just a few years back, when you had a, an entire army of people calling themselves sapiosexuals, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, 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 that's what I am. Like, I'm sexually attracted to intelligence. No, you're not. <laughs> right? And you would have, you had this trickle down. People grabbed a hold of it and ran with the term and started to identify it within themselves. No, no one is going out trying to fuck geniuses in large numbers. It's not <laughs> right. Like, right? No one is doing it, right? Neither are you, right? And yeah. It disturbed me how many people were trying to have the conversation on the articles and thought pieces that were being written. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, well, what can we tell ourselves about the person? What do we mm-hmm. know about the human at the center of this? And people allowing themselves to really become truly informed. Like, narcissists do significant damage to relationships and to other people. You mm-hmm. would not be in a space where you would be able to talk about it exactly. in a way that you do or as carelessly as you do if you had come into contact with a true narcissist. Mm-hmm. Everyone has toxic traits. We say it, we don't explore it. Mm-hmm. It's true. But people will then project that very easily onto others. Or they will say, you know what? My toxic trait toxic trait is that I work too hard. Mm. It's not a toxic trait. <laughs> <It's like laughs> Own your actual your actual toxic trait, and we see it now, yeah. is that you center yourself and you have to try and fish for compliments from others. Yeah, That's toxic. So now we know that. Now we know how to proceed, but there's a kind of grandiose way yeah. in which we go about trying to learn things with American psychology. And Kyrie is evidence of it. Nikki is evidence of it. And who we're willing to promote yeah, to almost kind of a thought leader emeritus. It's very careless. How, how do you feel about, and this is something else that I wrote about that I thought was really interesting, where it was just like, you know, it's this weird phenomenon where you you see people like on social media being overtly positive. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and maybe the psychology of it could be, Oh well, I'm not doing anything wrong because I'm being really, really positive. Mm-hmm. But sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> it could just be really, really fucking annoying. Yeah. And and even if there's a level of like, you know, I can hear something and I'm like, look, I'm not a professional, but something just doesn't sound right. right. Is that I feel like it could be irresponsible if you're telling somebody, well, you know what, you know, you ain't got what you want because. You know, you lazy. Like, right. like, look at Bill Gates. You know, I, I, I literally saw somebody <laughs> right. say this. I, I literally saw somebody. You, know, you think Bill Gates is a billionaire because he just sit at home all day? He work every day. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? You need to stop sitting on your fucking ass and blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, you know, that sounds like a speech that you give to a high school basketball team. Sure. 
But if somebody can't get out of the fucking bed, right. you know, that's right. depression. <laughs> and it might Absolutely. not and it might not be as simple as quit being fucking get lazy. Get up and go get yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I and I think stuff like that gets really, really like murky mm-hmm. because if someone is um gosh, what do you call them? If somebody's like a um what do they call them? Not 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 motivational speakers, but it's a life coach or something like sure. that, right? Sure. There's no checks and balances with that. Correct. You know, so Correct. They make their money based on promoting positivity. Yeah. Almost yeah. entirely. Yeah. But if but but if but if a, a psychologist gives wrong information or does mm-hmm. something wrong that there's a check and balance. It's just like, hey, if you did something unethical, you can lose your license. You can this and that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a life coach would be like, oh well, I guess you didn't want it enough. You know what, <laughs> right. what I'm saying? Like you know what I mean? Like and so it, it becomes one of those things where it's just like it, is it the equivalency of of emotional comfort food do people just mm-hmm. you know want to find something to kind of like uh like we were saying that confirmation bias it's like yeah. you know yeah toxic positivity is big money mm-hmm. right now and i think in many ways what it has done is it's it does a lot of damage to people who are firmly in touch with their emotions mm-hmm. and those who are very mindful about how they feel one of the difficulty i have with the culture of positivity is that it doesn't allow much room for how people actually process the negative that happens in their life Mm. and the tragic that happens in their life. Mm. If something tragic happens to you, me personally, I want to make room for how you feel right now. Mm -hmm. And I want to make room for how your emotions are going to change and morph and how you're going to shape them. But in that moment, Toxic positivity doesn't allow for you to hit the brakes at all. Yeah. It's all gas. Yeah. Like, no, so what can you, what positive can you draw from your leg being shorn off yeah. by yeah. this bandsaw at work? Yeah. Fuck that, bro. Yeah. Yo, cry for the loss of your leg. Yeah. Right? Be hurt for the loss <laughs> yeah. of your leg. Yeah. Let's spend some time in that moment. What it doesn't allow for is for the various bits of humanity that people have, and there are many. It forces us in many ways, and some of it comes down to how much of ourselves we share in public spaces. We always have to be our best self. Mm -hmm. Who's going to very bravely step forward and say, no, genuinely, no, I'm hurting right now, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, in a most vulnerable way, share this hurt with you. Brother that I was working with uh, at Claflin when I was teaching there, uh, Dr. Robert Green, I thought it was an amazing thing. He was on Twitter, and he was talking about how negative he was feeling at a time, and He didn't feel very affirmed. He was having trouble with much of his writing. He was having some trouble with how he was feeling about himself. And four different people were kind of like, no, 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 here's how you should look at yourself. You're the greatest. You're so influential. And he was like, yo, I'm not asking none of y'all. Chill. (laughs) Like, this is just a moment I'm having right now. I'm going to get over it. Like, fall back. Bruh, I wanted to run Mm -hmm. and literally, like, dude, my man, listen, let's clink these glasses, my nigga. Like, Uh, I'm glad glad you said something. Because often... The feeling that you got from their response was, dude, how can you feel mm-hmm. in any way negative about yourself and your career when it's so amazing, right? Mm-hmm. You're so amazing to all of us. And he's like, no, no, you're missing the point. Right now in this moment, yeah, I'm having a moment where I'm not my best. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing it here. I'm not asking you to try to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. That's often what happens is folks don't feel entitled to their emotion in that space because someone who is being completely positive world first yeah. runs forward and says let me tell you why this is so good for you though yeah you experienced this failure but here's how we're gonna reshape it yo mm. do that shit tomorrow yeah do it tomorrow right now i want to try as much as is possible to take a moment mm. 
embrace the emotion that I'm having and then heal. Give me yeah. that moment. Give me that space. I think also it's like, you know, when people say self-care is that mm-hmm. a lot of times they're like, oh, no, I had this really uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. Let me just run away from it right. and distract myself from it. When in some cases you might need to sit in that shit for a sit little in bit. It for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something there's something that you can learn and something that and and not learn to then immediately turn around and produce with it. Mm-hmm. There's something that you should feel because it's what you do feel. It's a part of why people ghost other people. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't, I can't deal with the negative emotion. I've just got to yeah. be away from it. Right. Yeah. We have relationship breakdown. We have people who walk away from careers, and it's not always a negative thing they do. Mm-hmm. But the fact that people can't handle being the villain even in their own story sometimes. Yeah. Right? They can't handle like, nah, man, I did that thing wrong. Let me let me spend some time with it. I made that mistake. Mm-hmm. Let me spend some time with it. We've instead created a culture where people have to in some way numb themselves all the time or try and find some means of drugging themselves through life with whatever the drug is. Mm-hmm. Self-care has become an intoxicant at this point, bro. Yeah. And... When I think of what people offer as far as self-care is concerned, I'm, I'm a psychologist who is in a position where I see patients and the kind of things that people think immediately are self-care. Well, next week I'm going to have a massage. Mm-hmm. Well, what about those who can't afford it? Mm-hmm. And what about this moment right now mm-hmm. that you are having? What can we do about that? No, you in fact are human. You can be balanced. You can feel awful right now. Mm-hmm. Let's make room for it. Stay in it in this moment if you want to. Move out of it. But that positivity culture mm-hmm. doesn't make room for that. You're supposed to always try to be your best self. Yeah, theoretically. Not. Yeah. And I've been chastised, as you can imagine, by people when mm-hmm. they come to my page or my space. And I'm like, nah, make room for all of it. But here's what the all of it looks like. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are some negative pieces that are in there. Right. So what what advice would you give if somebody is going through, especially now where, you know, you know, you're still in the midst of a pandemic and all this stuff. If sure. somebody hits one of those emotional lulls and they're not feeling their best, mm-hmm. what would be kind of something that you would say, like, this is an example of how to like not just automatically try to run out of right. the, the pain. But mm-hmm. here's a healthy way to acknowledge the shit you're feeling and be able to process it? I would say take a a short and very small path of discovery Mm -hmm. with it. How does pain impact you? Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. then do you have a routine around your pain? And if you see that your routine isn't one that is impactful for you, it simply leaves you kind of in the midst of it, then Mm -hmm. what can we do to vary your routine? But don't run away from it in yeah, any you way. Yeah, can't, you can't go on vacation every time. No, you, don't, you, you literally, it's like, you know what? I always feel better when I go to the Maldives, right? Everybody does, man. Exactly. Holes and look out there. You exactly. No, but instead, if your daily routine allows you, and I'm saying allows you in a space to almost kind of stay too fully grounded and almost planted and welded mm-hmm. to the worst of that feeling. Can you say, no, nah, you know, I can move this feeling slightly. Mm-hmm. One, by exploring the feeling, you know, why am I in pain? Yeah, What happened there? You know, is there a small thing that I can change and vary in my routine where I simply say, I move a little bit, mm-hmm. right? If I don't want to get out of bed, well, I'm going to require that I do it maybe 30 minutes and then I get back in bed. Maybe mm-hmm. that'll be more on another day yeah. you know, do I allow myself some grace to understand like yeah here's the thing that I did 
and I could have done it differently, but I don't have to start doing everything differently right now. Let me be mindful about that and start to game plan and set my be better agenda if I want to do that. And then still take some time like, yo, I am hurting. Yeah. And here are all of the ways that I'm hurting. And is it just me or is this an artifact? So I'm saying it has to be the combination of the thoughtfulness that mm -hmm. kind of like, what am I processing emotionally? And then how do I vary my routine mm -hmm. so that my routine allows me to be in many ways, slightly healthier. Yeah, I'm against using the word productive mm -hmm. because in many ways, productivity almost looks like, what are you making? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you pushing out yeah. into the world? And sometimes, dude, just getting through the day <laughs> is yeah. enough. Yeah. That That is all it's going to have to be. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that, that really fucked with me when the pandemic started. And it was just like, you know, you listening to like niggas like Puffy, yeah. where like, you know, as a rapper, like one of my biggest dreams was to have a record with like puffies like yelling at the beginning of it. You nice. know what I mean? Yeah, yo, motherfuckers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I work harder than you, motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Right. Like the, the, the distorted voice. Mm -hmm. And so, like when the pandemic hit, you know, he was like, "Yo, nigga, you got to be home. If you're gonna be home, this is your opportunity to work, work harder." Mm -hmm. You know? And I was like, "Yo." Hell yeah, I'm gonna learn a second motherfucking language, <laughs> right. you know? I'm gonna write a book. Right. I, you know, I have all these grandiose ideas, and mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna make these mixtapes and sell mm -hmm. these motherfuckers. And then just one day, mm -hmm. I just hit a wall. Sure. And I couldn't do anything. And what happened was, I felt like shit again. Okay. Because I'm like, Whoa. Because you're not getting exactly. anything. Exactly. Right. Yo, right. you got all this time, right. and you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, and I ended up having a conversation with another uh, friend of ours, professional. She said, yo, you're not, you know, this isn't a vacation. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. this is, this is like, you know, this like global trauma that's going on right Absolutely. now, you know? And, and that was, and that kind of put it in perspective for me. It was just like, you know, sometimes we're our worst enemy when we're trying to be quote unquote productive. Yeah. And, and that product thing is always, a, a big factor in it because mm -hmm. a lot of people that that are really really heavy on that shit mm -hmm. it's always kind of under the guise of like trying to sell you something you know bro we're young black and smart so we're supposed to be doing a lot of shit mm -hmm. like that's the unfortunate pressure that has been pla mm -hmm. placed on us in our generation if you are relatively young mostly black <laughs> whatever that <laughs> means and you can put a few sentences together then you're supposed to have your own business mm -hmm. and you're supposed to have an army of friends around you who are very varied and your life is supposed to be an episode of insecure <laughs> and, and you're supposed to to be using shea butter and all yeah, types yeah, of yeah, shit yeah. where in the pandemic that was carried to new heights it's mm -hmm. like well now we can do it we have the time to do all of it but at what point is exploring our true selves? Mm -hmm. Like what occurred, I think to me during the pandemic, and I had to lean into it. I was like, "Bruh, I am not a nice person. <laughs> I'm simply not." I'm like, "Dude, I'm a fucking piece of shit who wants to get things done, mm -hmm. and I'm willing to apply." But I was looking around like, "Bruh, I'm a I'm a good human, mm -hmm. but not a nice person, right?" Mm -hmm. And I initially wanted to run away from that mm -hmm. until I started to explore it and was like, there are a lot of people who aren't nice people who are good to other people. Mm -hmm. I'm not nice in terms of how I view the world and how I view others in it. Mm -hmm. And initially I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a nice person. Like I, I do all of these talks for other people. And I, but I was like, wait a minute, man. Like I look at a lot of people in their questions and I'm like, what does this piece of shit want to say to me now? <laughs> 
So that time, but leaning into that mm-hmm. realization, I was like, dude, that's where my aggression comes from to a degree. That's where some of my wanting silence and quiet, it allowed me that mm-hmm. time leaning into this feeling which was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. This feeling where I'm like, nah, I'm a I'm a black dude with a degree in glasses. I'm supposed to be nice and kind, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, you know, I have nice and kind friends, but then I started to explore them and I was like, we are all semi pieces of shit. This is beautiful. <laughs> I want to explore this with them. But they would, and in the instances where I did, I would be like, dude, lean into it on your own time. Yeah. I'm leaning into it right now. Yeah. But there's so much pain at times in leaning into it. You have to say to yourself like no it's okay even if i take breaks from it yeah and there it's okay if some days i'm kind of like dude i'm not even gonna move my car yeah it's gonna have to be enough on this day that i take a moment and i'm like i'm just gonna shower because that's gonna be my routine very yeah. end try again tomorrow do you think this happens when anytime you know there's like someone black with glasses that can put mm-hmm. words together mm-hmm. you know there's always this weird pressure i remember i remember in the midst of like the Trump administration, mm-hmm. Tanahasi Coates was on uh, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh-huh. and I don't know, I don't know what the topic was, but it was something that happened that was really fucked up that white people did, and Trump was involved with it, and it, and black people were kind of the end of the spectrum, kind of taking the shit, uh-huh. and I remember Colbert was just like, and it was really it was a it was a naivete that I don't think he was even aware of, okay. right? But it was this moment where he was just kind of like, so um. Well, what advice do you give America <laughs> on how to handle this? And you can kind of see that he's waiting for him to like make him feel better, right? right. <laughs> make right. white people feel better, right. you know, and, 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 and be like, yo, well, I think, you know, there's blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Tana Hoss was like, I ain't got no advice, man. Right. Nothing. <laughs> I got like, nothing for you. I ain't got shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I just saw Colbert's face kind of just like, oh, you yeah. know, and then, yeah. and, and, it, and it puzzled me because I was just like, when you're a black intellectual, mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, wax poetic about something that you're interested in. Right. There's this responsibility that you have to, like, There's solve. There's an obligation. Yo, obligation. There's an obligation. Yeah, so it's, well, <laughs> you know, we're going to ask Dr. Wells what he thinks about a thing. And I can recall being in that sage on the stage, in that podium space. And the thing that I said was, yo, pay my people. Hmm. Pay my people. Money would help my people a lot. Absolutely. Right. And a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So pay my people for everything that you do, mm-hmm. right? That's the advice that I give to you. Make sure that you compensate them well. And there were some people who responded to me like, well, money isn't going to fix whatever these problems are. I'm like, you misunderstand. Pay my people so that they can start to work on those various problems mm-hmm. with confidence and space and with ease so they're not struggling to pay bills and to feed themselves yeah. and keep uh, keep. Re- you want us to solve these problems? Mm-hmm. We're gonna need the equivalent of grant money yeah. <laughs> every day. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, leave my people the fuck alone. Yeah. But there is that pressure and there is that obligation to even present yourself in public in a way like there's the I, black intellectuals are tied into this notion of black excellence, mm-hmm. and black excellence very often has to look away. It has to be well dressed. It in fact has to communicate in a way. Has to be married into the right spaces and have to travel to the right spaces mm-hmm. and be palatable. In the space that I'm in, and it's another thing that I've offered, is I want to change for myself and for others what the view of black excellence is, Mm. right? Like I want for it to look and sound a way that is more representative. 
quite honestly, man, I'm comfortable with the idea of black averageness being excellent. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, fuck up. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable with the idea of black mediocrity. Yo, yo. And what that looks like, because that's still going to be better than every other kind of mediocrity, because yeah. we do everything well. Yeah. So I'm about this black mediocrity movement, where it's like, bro, wake up and be mediocre, but still be the best version of that. <laughs> For yourself and be black while doing it and it's gonna be fucking awesome for everybody Yo, to witness that's so great is this chris rock told this story about his neighborhood he lives in this i know the one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the it's dentist in his yes, neighborhood Yo. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for the listeners yeah. that don't know, Chris Rock was talking about he lives in this affluent neighborhood, uh-huh. and the only black people that live there is him, Mary J. Blige, right. uh, maybe, I don't know, Gary, uh, Patrick Ewan, right. or whatever, right? So he's basically like, these are three, you know, black people in this neighborhood. He's like, you know, one of the greatest comedians, mm-hmm. the greatest R&B singer, Hall of Fame basketball player. Mm-hmm. He's like, the white guy that lives next door to me is a dentist. He's a fucking dentist, bro. <laughs> he's like, not yo. the greatest dentist, <laughs> not a very good dentist. He's a fucking dentist, he's like, bro. The only way a black dentist can live in my neighborhood is if he invented teeth. <laughs> this is what, like, and and what is and what is crazy, like, what is crazy to me, man, is even being in the space that I'm in. You know, I'm black and I'm a psychologist, and so I think people have a sense. You know what? We together and you leading some of this. Let's solve these issues of wellness. You know, you know what? I can contribute there, but in doing the work that I've done, what I realize is it's important we have our own voice and our own stories. So I think it's more important that we write those and we talk those and we build those. Mm-hmm. Some of it is about identity, mm-hmm. largely, and having a space where we can be black in everything. Yeah. So if we're going to solve that problem, what stories are we writing? What are we making room for? Where's our griot space? Mm. I don't want to be excellent every day. I don't want to have the answer every day. So I push that averageness and mediocrity. That's a lot of pressure, Even if it isn't allowed. Like, folks want for something profound to be coming, right? And I'm like, some days there's going to be. I'm a genius nigga. I don't front about (laughs) that, right? But there are just days where I'm like, nah, nigga just want to eat some fried shrimp and, like, rub on my wife's ass and, like, watch (laughs) some sports and feel that way. But even, like, in speaking with, my son, like, it's interesting because I realize he knows how much I love his mom, how much I'll stare at her when she's walking by. And even still, he is in his head kind of like, so when we're talking, nah, look at a girl's ass sometimes, son. Yeah. You don't got to say anything. Yeah. You don't touch it. But experience that for yourself yeah. because you don't necessarily have to follow me and be Malcolm X. Yeah. Not in any way. Like, be <laughs> fundamentally who you are. And I don't press my friends yeah. to be in that space. I'm close, close friends with Dr. Christopher Emden, mm-hmm. wildly famous brother in education. Folks then have an expectation of me being one of his friends, all of our friends, the spaces that we're in, what we do. And I'm like, nah, we get together, we say wild shit. Like, if you want to hear these yo, conversations, bro. Yo, I swear. So I swear I was going to read this. I'm going to read this Ali book right mm-hmm. now. And, and there's that famous picture of Malcolm and Martin mm-hmm. meeting. And and it's ever it's probably even a whole play that's that's behind it where it was basically like oh man you know Malcolm and Martin met we don't know what they talked about let us think about what they talked <laughs> and so like all of this world changing yo, all these cosmic and I'm combos, like yeah. and I'm like it would be hilarious to me mm-hmm. if Malcolm and Martin bumped into each other mm-hmm. and 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 Martin is like did you see. The game last night, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Because, right. because I can imagine if Malcolm and Martin 
on every waking minute. Mm-hmm. They're always talking about the plight of black America. Right. They always have to talk about this, talk about that. When you meet somebody that understands the shit you're going through, right? they probably have an impulse to talk about anything except, except that. Except that thing. Right. So when, when I... When people who are aware of me, I'm in a position where more people are aware of me than I'm aware of, mm-hmm. right? And so mm. they may have questions for me before I come into contact with them. There's this pressure for some people where they don't want to disappoint that public. Mm-hmm. I need to have a number of canned answers that are kind of profound. My feeling is the best thing that you can do is to tear down the idea of black hero worship mm-hmm. in those public spaces. I think our very real lives should be heroic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I wanna be sure that people understand like we can have access to each other. We don't wanna deify Mm -hmm. those kind of folks. And so it makes it like, dude, what would I say if I met Mm Jay-Z? Right, like what would I say to this nigga? I'd have to have something cool (laughs) and ready. Nah, man, like I'm not, I'd be like, nigga, we both got big lips, man. Like. (laughs) Girls ever gonna be into that shit for real, my nigga? Like, I understand where you got to. What was that shit like on tour? But what we're not allowing for is for the full representation of our lives Mm -hmm. to, I think, be pushed forward. Even in spaces, like, I was having a conversation about Outkast with one of my bros a few weeks back, Mm -hmm. and what occurred to me halfway through the conversation was how much time we had spent on how amazing it was that Andre 3000 had become it mm-hmm. has become almost this museum piece. Yeah. This structure that we look at as being this brilliantly genius rapper. And then I had to stop like, bruh, do you understand how amazing it is that Big Boy yeah. hung with this man for as yeah. many albums as he did? Yep. Even the kind of impact Big Boy would have in the things that he said, man, that it didn't seem like he was running counter yeah. to 3000. He was like, bro, this is the world we live in. Mm-hmm. How important it is to take a moment with that. Yeah. Right. And a part of what I love about, I'm going to speak on Southern rap for just a second. Because mm-hmm. I've got some friends who, there's an elitism in and around hip hop culture, mm-hmm. around what is hip hop and what is not. What I value so much about Southern rap, and I'm calling it Southern rap, and I know I shouldn't, but it's just a convenient term right now. So many everyday lives within that space have been brought in. Mm -hmm. There was a kind of excellence that you had to have in order to be involved in New York rap at a point, Mm -hmm. right? You have to be signed to a label, niggas recognize you, you're in fact thrust forward. What the South did brilliantly, and why it changed the game so profoundly and dramatically was like, Nah, man, I make music for my neighborhood. Yeah. Like, my yeah. people right where I'm at is who, like, in New York, you're not making it for everybody. You was making it for the world, for folks to, to recognize who you were, mm-hmm. right? And what the South gave us was the idea that the community was going to press the excellence forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to be from right around here, mm-hmm. and you're going to take your sound, and we appreciate that sound. It doesn't matter whether or not it's the greatest rap that's ever been made. That's unimportant. Mm-hmm. You have taken our voice yeah. and given it back to us. We're going to listen to it every day and celebrate it and party with yeah. it and invest in it. And that changed the game entirely, and I think that that cannot be understated. Wow. I think that's... That's pretty incredible. And and I think that, you know, if you think about Outkast, it has to be revolutionary in the way of just thinking of where the industry was, where 
LaFace Records, mm-hmm. these dudes literally were like, we're just signing acts from Atlanta. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so you got Outkast, you got TLC, mm-hmm. Tony Braxton from Atlanta. Like, like all these artists they had was mm-hmm. just from the area that were right in, in Atlanta. Which I can't imagine. I don't know the whole origin of Outkast. I can't imagine these guys trying to go to like a, a, a label in New York trying to get would, a record deal. They probably happened. wouldn't get it. Wouldn't have you, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so happened. like, the foresight of, of Babyface and L.A. Reid to kind of get that and understand that, mm-hmm. that th- there's something that's really profound in, you know, like you said, like having the voice of your community and right. letting them press that forward. I, I have something really interesting, especially with hip-hop stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a funny story about my dad and my mom. Okay. So we play Uno every every Sunday, and my dad, you know, he talks a lot of shit. So okay. he's talking all this shit, hitting us with draw fours and stuff like that. And he tried to hit my mom with a draw four. My mom had something else that she wasn't going to have to draw a draw four because I think she put a draw four on somebody else. Okay. So, <laughs> something happened, right? Something uh-huh. happened. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of it happening, my dad thought he had the best of her. And my mom said, boy, bye, and drops the card, right? <laughs> right? And we all laugh, right? Uh-huh. And my mom was telling me, she's like, you know what? She's telling me about this. She said, you know what? Your dad was really weird mm-hmm. a couple of days after that. Like, he'll okay. just be real short with me, this and this and that. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, my dad told me, hey, you called me a boy. Okay. Don't you ever do that again. My mom's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> First of all, you don't talk to me like that. Right. Like, second of all, you let this stew for three days? Right. He told me, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You you put the card down and said, boy, bye. Right? Right. And right. my mom was just like, you've never heard this before? <laughs> right? Right. You know? And so my mom explained it to her. And my dad chilled out. Uh-huh. But I was, but, I, but here's what hit me. I was mm-hmm. like, yo, my father comes from this generation that just the joke of saying boy bye would mm-hmm. ruin his week. Right. But in hip hop culture, we got two rappers right now. Mm-hmm. One that's called himself the baby. The baby. Another person and calls Lil, himself baby. Lil, yeah, little yeah, baby. Lil you know baby. what I'm saying? The baby, little baby. Uh-huh. So so I mean, aside from the lulls of a lot of these rappers where they're mm-hmm. just small mm-hmm. in stature, because Lil Wayne is like five feet. Correct. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But aside from that, what what about hip hop culture has change in the sense of my family come from a generation where mm. there was maybe I don't know if it's a southern thing but like the disrespect mm. to a black man calling him boy was disrespectful yeah. or whatever to all of a sudden you got people volunteering to be called baby yeah w- w- what do you think about that I think psychologically it's a kind of reclamation of identity mm. is what it comes down to in the same way that we use the word nigga, nigga. yeah yeah, in the same way, like you have many women who call each other bitch and they mm-hmm. mean it in a certain way. I think baby is kind of like New York saying son. On okay. Cali, they were like fool back in the day. Yeah. Like, yeah. like nah, this dude isn't actually my son and I'm not <laughs> sunning him, but we are in fact taking this word and we are giving this word meaning for us socially within our family context. So, whereas someone being a baby, being infantile, being infantilized, we're looking at brothers in our neighborhoods and in many of our hoods and in our homes and they're not living a fully realized life. Nah, baby, like, nah, I'm going to take that and I'm going to take what that means and I'm going to make it positive meaning between us. Yeah. In the same way, like, nah, you know, when I say nigga, that's my nigga. Yeah. I know what I mean by it and he knows what I mean when I say it. And it means 12 different things. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. my dude, he went out and bought some shoes I don't love. I'm like, nigga. <laughs> oh, we see a honey pass by she's looking good. Nigga. <laughs> Boy called bro calls me after work. My nigga. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He brings me a bottle of something and I didn't expect him. My nigga. Like we we are it has 
80 different meanings depending on the context. And I think baby has evolved in the same way, mm-hmm. where even in different parts of the world, you know, when folks throw it out, you're in Louisiana, baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, nah, good to see you. How you been? Mm-hmm. It means all of those things. I, I think our community has always been wonderfully brilliant and almost biblical in taking a term mm-hmm. that means a single thing, and we're going to give it positive and affirming meaning for us. And I think babies come around in the same way wow. that we've kind of taken, and it's like, nah, it means a number of great things for us now, and especially in that generation. They're like, man, it means 10,000 things and all <laughs> of them good. Well, I, I, I'm glad you had that perspective because I, I was I was torn on it because it was like um, there was actually some, some writer, I don't know if it was a psychologist or something, mm-hmm. but they was talking about like kind of that suspended that suspended uh adolescence thing Correct. where they were just mm-hmm. like oh you know black people call call their house the crib Correct. you know you know Correct. all that type of stuff so yeah. i'm like so i'm like you know when when the Francis baby is cress wellson that's it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and i was thinking about like when the baby got in trouble with what he said at that um mm-hmm. that uh the music festival Correct. there was a part of me was just like all right is there something psychologically where it's like yo if I get in trouble or do some crazy shit, mm-hmm. I can kind of fall back on well, I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. So it was, it was, it was just kind of an interesting way of looking at it. And speaking yeah. of which, um, what the hell is going on with, with this Dave Chappelle stuff? Yeah. Right now? So, you know, it's interesting, man. Um, so, like most folks, I watched the special, mm-hmm. and my initial reaction was, I've heard this from Dave before, mm-hmm. and. I wasn't surprised to hear it again because I've recognized in Dave Chappelle that he's very much like, you're not going to force me to feel another way about things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel how I feel about it. So he was not going to, I think in his mind, he was like, they're not going to bully me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push back. Now the problem I see with some of Dave's approach is that he wasn't necessarily allowing other voices in. Yeah. And the kind of voices that I think he would let in would be those that demonstrate that they have his well-being in mind when they yeah. approach him. And that's a part of the issue is, um, well, I mean, there are plenty of folks who try to cancel me on some things anyway, so fuck it, right? <laughs> cancel culture has become an economy. Mm-hmm. And so there were a number of people who watched Dave Chappelle's special not to create a conversation, but more so to score points off of him. Mm-hmm. He allowed them to. He gave them the space to do so mm-hmm. instead of him even being willing to have a conversation at the outset. What happened with his special was it became a kind of fulcrum for many people to create thought pieces or spaces where they were kind of like, let me demonstrate how bright I am. Mm-hmm. Let me demonstrate how woke I am. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I think, saying as he was to a degree with the baby, is this someone we're trying to throw away? Mm-hmm. And if he is as young as we're saying he is, if he is as poorly informed, but he's a member of our community or family, are we willing to save him and preserve him mm-hmm. and have a conversation with him? Otherwise, what are we doing? Is this sort of like the Kyrie thing where it's just like at, at some point there could be perspectives or a think piece that they might read like, damn, mm-hmm. I didn't see it from that perspective. I feel mm-hmm. you. But the opposition is so strong mm-hmm. that you don't, you know, you, you don't give somebody room to jump out the window. Well, I'll say jump out the window, but mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like the thing we were saying about the Kyrie thing is that mm-hmm. people are so, their, their, their horns are so dug in with this mm-hmm. stuff that I feel like even if people 
change their mind. They're going to mm-hmm. stick to their guns out of spite. Per yeah, se. I think I think Dave Chappelle already sees the other side. I think this is some of the genius of Dave Chappelle. He mm-hmm. he has had those conversations and mm-hmm. he knows. It. I think he is like fuck you people. Yeah, I want you to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I want for you to live with some of this hurt and harm that I lived with. Mm-hmm. What we ought to be clear about with Dave Chappelle is that he, in fact. I think there's a certain amount of resentment he approaches certain parts of the mm-hmm. world with, and it influences his comedy mm-hmm. in many ways. I think Dave is firing shots at people because he's like, you get to feel this way because mm-hmm. I felt this way. I understand your point of view. I just happen to think I'm right. <laughs> and right. so I'm going to lean on yeah. thinking that I'm right, and here's why. And the points of view that I think he absorbs most are people who have demonstrated to him that they're willing to be balanced. Mm-hmm. And he sees a lot of other points of view, and he says, well, no, all you're trying to do is seem as if you're right, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. And you just want to appeal to your particular group and community, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to shit on you as opposed to sitting down in a space where I allow anyone mm-hmm. to engage me. Well, I think the interesting thing about Dave, and um, and I think Kevin Hart told the story. It's a real interesting story. And, and it made me think about Ali um, in a way, not calling Dave Ali, but this is my theory, is that <laughs> Kevin Hart was telling the story about he had like a Kevin Hart had some show in Seattle or something, mm-hmm. and you know he's doing like the stadium shit. So he got like this thirty thousand person arena thing mm-hmm. that he's playing at or whatever. And while he's doing a radio interview, he finds out that like Dave is randomly going to be at some small spot in sure. the city. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Really, Dave's going to be in town?" Okay. So he calls Dave. And he's like, "Yo, Dave, you you in you in Seattle?" He's like, "Yeah, man." He said, "Where you at?" Well, I'm at such and such hotel. He's like, "I'm gonna pull up." He was like, "Okay." So Kevin Hart said he pulls up. And Dave is with his homies on Harley Davidson's mm-hmm. at this hotel. Right. And Dave got like this leather vest on mm-hmm. with the arms out looking like Sons of Anarchy or whatever. And he was just like, you got this show going on. When did you decide to do it? Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, you know, me and the homies, like we riding bikes, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, across the country. And I figured I needed a couple of dollars. So I just called the spot, you know. <laughs> right. Just all out of the blue, all mm-hmm. random. I don't know if he had any material, mm-hmm. but he just like you, you, you know, if he comes here now and says, "Hey, I want the comedy house," better, I don't give a fuck who's. You better put him yeah. on. Yeah, and and it was just this weird thing that when he told that story, I was like, "Damn, Dave is the is the most free person in the world, Absolutely. right?" Because like Kevin Hart. He has sponsorships, he has companies, he has partnerships with, he wanted to host the Oscars, whatever the case may be. Whatever Dave's like shortcomings might be with his ideas and opinions, he really don't work for nobody. It's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. And I think it's about true. Ali in a sense when I'm, while I'm reading this book, where it's just like the way that Ali became Ali was that he wasn't playing a team sport. Right. So, like, at that point in time, if you're the heavyweight champion of the world, mm-hmm. that's the freest, most powerful person on the planet sure. where you basically told the world I can beat whoever you put in front of me mm-hmm. so I can say this mm-hmm. there's not a commissioner that can fuck with me mm-hmm. there's not you know a coach or a team owner like I'm pretty free in this regard and so when I look at Dave you know I think the way that he can kind of be so heavy handed or whatever the case may be is that who's gonna cancel him yeah he's I think he's demonstrated that he can't be canceled mm-hmm. my my difficulty with Dave, I mean, I think about this kind of term I keep in mind for myself. One should be liberated but not isolated, mm. all right? And mm. so you can be free, mm-hmm. and you can kind of have this ability to think for yourself and to fend for yourself and support yourself, but not be an island where you are removed from kind of outside influence. Yeah. Right, and you don't have to pull all in, but I think 
Dave has emerged at a point where he's like, I'm mostly correct <laughs> in, in how I think about things. Mm -hmm. the, the problem naturally is in the space that Dave is in where he can share those ideas with a group of people and a large sample of people who want to believe them anyway. Mm -hmm. You can almost become a cult leader if you're not cautious yeah. about this. If you're charismatic enough and people want to lean into it, and not that Dave wants for people to follow him. He wants to share ideas mm. and he wants to have difficult conversations. It doesn't always, to me, appear that Dave is prepared to take any responsibility for what comes from those conversations. Mm -hmm. Not that he should be blamed for all of the impact, but how you have the conversation certainly does matter. right? If, yeah. if I, using my platform, I go out and I say, listen, Here's the kind of therapy that black people should go and seek. Mm -hmm. There are people who are going to follow that. Mm -hmm. That comes with responsibility. If yeah. Dave is like, nah, y'all are punching down on my people. Mm -hmm. People who have that group of people around them are like, them niggas are punching down on us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Now, and I think to, to some degree, right, I found most of what he said to, at the, on the very low end, be, somewhat archaic mm -hmm. and on the high end be profound as almost yeah. everything with Dave is. Yeah. You know, he bounces between all of these points. It was mentioned to me recently, you know, I had a woman say to me, she's like, I don't think Dave likes women. I yeah, think, and I think he's demonstrated that. I've, I've, I've had several female friends say that to me. Yeah. And Dave never really approaches that, but he'll always say a thing where, again, if you're a thoughtful person, you stop like, yeah. Dave, I don't know. He's like, man, this bitch is complaining. Yeah. And <laughs> Dave, like, yeah. yeah. I understand it's supposed to be comical, but I wonder what that feels like to you. Mm -hmm. And this was the special where I think certain people started to wonder. As you're talking about me, how do you really think about me, though, Dave? Mm -hmm. uh, what do I matter to you? How do you think about me in your private moments? Like, is mm -hmm. this really funny for you? It's funny for us that you gave it to us in this yeah. way, but what is it like for you? And Dave hasn't really given people very much access yeah. to that. He's well-known but private yeah. in many ways. It's, you think it's one of those things where it's like when I think about like Michael Jackson passing or Prince mm -hmm. passing, I think of like how lonely that must be because mm. Michael ran out of um he, he he ran out of contemporaries. He ran out of people Absolutely. that could like call him out on his shit. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so anything other than that is that you're either surrounded by people that depend on you or you're yeah. surrounded by people that, that if they gave an opinion, they're gonna be like, You you guys can't understand where I'm coming from. Right. Do do you feel like like Dave is in that stage now where I mean, I guess unless Eddie Murphy talks to him, but I don't right. know. But I don't know if, if, I don't, if that's I don't the relationship know that they have. He looks yeah, at Eddie. In yeah, that yeah, way. You, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like you know, it something happens to you when he's like, "Hey, most people say I'm the goat." Mm -hmm. So as soon as somebody says that, it's, it's it's like you know, I mean, when we talk about black hero worshiping, man, when I look at Jordan, uh -huh. I think that you know, watching that documentary, it was really really funny because it was like, you know from a journalist perspective because mm -hmm. Ken Burns talked about this and he was absolutely right he's just like yo the one thing he didn't like about the documentary was Michael Jordan had Final Cut and it was a that's Michael Jordan production yeah that's he's just like yeah. he's like there's no way I would do something like that right. where the person I'm doing doing this thing on would have control over it right you know so fundamentally I know that he's right mm -hmm. and another part of me is like this is the greatest sports documentary ever sure. and maybe there's this um this this child in me that mm -hmm. no matter 
you know, what Jordan does because mm-hmm. he's proven to be a very terrible person off the court. He's a terrible human. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But, but somehow I give him this emotional pass, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that can be dangerous. Absolutely. Um, especially yeah. when it's man. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah. even this book I'm reading about Ali, mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit in this book that's just like, ooh. Listen, man, <laughs> we, we want to, uh, there's the halo effect mm-hmm. where, you know, things that are beautiful to us, things that, feel in many ways healthy and affirming to us things that are excellent people who are excellent to us and are beautiful to us we want to believe that they are fundamentally good Mm -hmm. and because dave Chappelle in particular gives us so much joy Mm -hmm. because he gives us so much pleasure we want to assume that was his intent Mm -hmm. that's what he meant for us to feel Mm. (laughs) we don't know what a comedian is emotionally working out in front of us Mm -hmm. and it's been demonstrated time and again most of them have a great deal of trauma. Most of them have mm-hmm. a great deal emotionally that they are processing mm-hmm. in the presence of others. Dave comes back to this. I think we have to wonder about what his motives are. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, if you did a pie chart, because he's had six specials on Netflix. Correct. If you did a pie chart on the topics that he's talked about more than anything else, mm-hmm. it's like you might have like pussy jokes here. Right. White people do this. Right. And maybe the biggest piece of the pie. Mm-hmm are trans jokes absolutely and 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 so absolutely and so part of me is just like dude like that's a lot of time it is for for someone who is so remarkably and profoundly Mm well-rounded and someone who is so at least on the surface who appears to be very well informed Mm -hmm. why this community yeah and and i mean community because you're going after many parts of it Mm -hmm. and perhaps in his mind he doesn't feel like he's going after them but that's what it feels like Mm -hmm. in many ways in I know for some people there's the matter of no one is above reproach. Mm-hmm. So should we have conversations with the LGBTQA community plus? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get canceled myself. Plus, <laughs> make sure the plus is in. Should we have conversations with that community about how they mm-hmm. engage with all communities? Certainly. Mm-hmm. But do we have to be mindful about how we do it? Sure. But Dave is an individual who presents with that very old classic comedian idea of ain't nobody gonna tell me how to talk about it. Yeah, we don't live in that time, you know, anymore. You can have private relationships and conversations like so, but we've realized how much damage can be done to people if we aren't mindful about how we discuss them and their existence in shared spaces. Is that the same thing that we're dealing with now when we talk about that responsibility? Where you, you ever heard this comedian named Anthony Jeselnik? I no, think that's his name. I have not. All right. Mm-hmm. Anthony Jeselnik is the guy that anytime you see a roast, like he'll be like mm-hmm. one of the main guys mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. He has a Netflix special that okay. came out about a year or so ago. Okay. When I tell you that he says some of the most ridiculous shit ever. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, necrophilia jokes, okay, rape jokes, uh, abortion wow. jokes. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, it pales. Dave shit pales in comparison okay. to what this dude is, is saying, okay. right? And and it's not a level of me saying, well, you know, if this white guy could say it, why can't Dave say the shit that he's saying? It's not necessarily that. It's it's more or less, you know, is that that responsibility thing that falls on the black entertainer where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, as much as people love the show Seinfeld, mm-hmm. two things. I can't name one joke of Seinfeld's career. Right. And number two, there's never been anything about Seinfeld's career as a Jewish man mm-hmm. that there's a responsibility that he has to speak on behalf of his people, right. right? So it's like, you know, you have this thing that fell on Michael Jordan where he gets beat up about saying, well, Republicans buy shoes too, and right. I'm disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. But, 
nobody says, hey, Larry Bird, you're from French Lake, Indiana, and there's an mm-hmm. opioid crisis going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to talk about your community? Right. <laughs> you know, right. like he can just play ball and just say, fuck it. And just be fine. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Do you think that, that there's also this like um, unreasonable expectation that might fall on somebody like Dave yeah. to, to be able to be? Because I'm not looking for comedians to be poignant. Ever. I think ultimately, if we mentioned it a bit earlier, I don't think that entertainers of any kind need to be thought leaders. Yeah. I don't think that they need to be revolutionaries. I think that they, they can be, yeah. certainly, but many of them have demonstrated that they aren't necessarily the best sources to go to. Mm-hmm. We should go to people who, in fact, have training and understanding and have investment in the various areas where we're trying to make change. I want to know about physics. I need to go to a physicist. Mm-hmm. And I need to go to someone who's demonstrated not only that they have the education and the understanding. I, I'm going to Dave Chappelle as a thought leader to tell me about how to craft a joke. Mm. That's what I would go to him <laughs> yeah. for. I shouldn't go to him for anything else. And mm-hmm. I think, no, certainly, I don't want to put him in a position. He's there already. Mm-hmm. But, no, he doesn't have to in any way absorb that responsibility, nor should he. Because what conveniently happens is then only entertainers in our community. And it's just our community. Yeah. Only entertainers become this authority yeah. on all things that black people think. Yeah. And comedians heavily, because it's like, well, they're talking about what the community feels and what the community thinks. And so it's this is how we are. Yeah, it's like when, uh, when Trump got elected, he tried to have those meetings in Trump Tower. He just called all the black entertainers. All the black entertainers that he could think of, man, because this <laughs> is going to tell me what the community feels. Like, there are community activists. There are teachers. There are, in fact those who are on the ground mm-hmm. w- within all of these spaces in our community and in very complicated spaces in our community and in less clear spaces, but you would have to do the homework to gain access to those folks. Mm-hmm. Going to entertainers is just lazy. Yeah, It's just lazy. But it's easy access and it's convenient. It's, it's vapid and it's childish. And no, I don't know how we steer away from that cliff. Mm-hmm. We're here, but... And a part of what I think is challenging and going to comedians for that is how unreasonable they are, sometimes out of necessity, and how they view the world and their place in it. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player who ever lived, and someone paying another player praise in his space. Mm -hmm. I was offended by that. Yeah. No, this dude scored 30 points on me. (laughs) Mike, you scored 63 (laughs) on Larry Bird. Yeah. This dude scored 30 on me. Folks said he had a great game. I was offended by that. <laughs> like, and for him, you could tell as he was talking yeah. about it. No, my point of view is this shouldn't have happened to me. Yeah. Many entertainers, their point of view is no. What I think, feel, and experience is like. Yeah, I took it so personally. I took it personally. I have to. I have to react to that as if it's reality. Their reality is completely ruined. Yeah. So I, I think. Some of what Dave demonstrated was almost a bit of irresponsibility, even in taking the point of view of one person who he's very close to Mm -hmm. and saying, well, here's someone who is in that community who accepted me, who defended me. And so why can't the rest of the community? It's like a white people, white people. Like, yeah, I've got a black friend. (laughs) And it's like, Dave, don't do this shit, man. Don't do this. No, 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 no. No, there are people who I speak to. Dave, these are folks who naturally want you to feel a way about yourself because of how you've made them feel. That's Mm. irresponsible. You've got to go to a wider berth of people or don't. But Mm. if you're not willing to, you can't talk about what those folks mean. You can't talk about what their lives are. You simply can't do it. Well, Well, if anything, you know, he's, He's great at creating the conversation, and and in a weird way, mm-hmm. you know, that community has 
a lot more um, ink written oh, about, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of great, you know, thoughtful people from the community. And, and more specifically, I think the one thing that, that usually I think frustrated me with some of that stuff that Dave was saying was when he was talking about like, hey, my my commentary wasn't about the LGBTQ a plus community. <laughs> I say it right. You did. Okay. You did. You Yay! will not. You will not be canceled. <laughs> we live another day. He said it's not just about that. He says my my commentary was against white people. Right. And my whole thing is, what about the black people that are in the trans community? What right. about you know the black people that are in this right. community that might feel some kind of way? Because you're yeah. double isolated now, right? Correct. You're like you you you're like well damn, you know. You're making it seem like it's, it's, you know, black against this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're saying that this community is punching down on black people mm-hmm. and I'm a black person in this community well, as well. It happens to be trans. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I was like, well, yeah. well fuck. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? a, a part of what our community does, I think, and it does real psychological, emotional, and personal harm to members of our community is we prioritize black as the only identity. Mm-hmm. So if you are black, you know what it means to be black only. Mm-hmm. So if so a black woman when we're talking about loss of black life she can't talk about abuse she can't talk about what it means to be black and female mm-hmm. and for there to be damage loss of life issues with motherhood mm-hmm. issues with birth and mortality because well she's black so let's talk about this loss of life contribute there in many ways you know it's kind of silencing and abusive mm-hmm. in that space so someone who's black and trans especially like there's a kind of erasure mm-hmm. and it's a large part of it, and I hate to say it, it comes from our spiritual traditions. It comes from our faith traditions mm-hmm. that we are one community first. Yeah. And everything falls below that in some way. We have to deprioritize other parts of our identity. Dave has fallen victim to some of that. You know, black mm-hmm. people know what I mean, and white <laughs> people know what I mean. Well, yeah. nah, it's Dave, we understand, but, and he knows, he knows very well that yeah. it is very complex. I think. In many ways where I enjoy the conversation and the necessity of the conversation, there comes a space where we're all trying to challenge ourselves to make room for it, mm-hmm. right? When there are people in my own workspace who they're like, you're yeah, on, on your email, make sure that you have like he, him, you know, yeah. his or whatever way you identify yourself. And I'm like, dude, I forgot that shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I'm having to make room to incorporate that for myself. And we have a lot of resistance to how the world is changing around us and how identity is changing. Yeah. We still have black as the overarching yeah. kind of banner that we're all flying under and we haven't put enough columns and spaces yeah. in place to allow people to explore all parts of the identity. And no and folks in those spaces are pushing back. Or they're well, pushing back heavy. Well damn, dude. We've uh talked about a, an hour and fifteen minutes. Okay. I guess uh I can have you here all day, but nigga, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I got to yeah. go to work. And I got to run. Me and the fam got to run, bro. I understand. Listen, we gave them this genius work for hour 15. Them <laughs> niggas, let them niggas be grateful, Yo, bro. I'm excited. <laughs> I mean, I might put this shit up today. I mean, if I got time, I can probably upload this before I go to man, work. But go, like, Go this... for it, man. The people deserve it. Go all right, for it, so man. how can the people find you? How can the people Man, they can find me on Twitter at Napoleon BX Sith. Um, the latest edition of Milton Davis's Cyberfunk. I've got a story in it, beautiful responses to it. Go on ahead and support that um, on Instagram. Um, Napoleon something or other psychologist. Just look up Napoleon Wells, man. Wikipedia knows about me. Google knows about me. You'll find me out here. Yo, 
Once again, this is the Negro League Podcast. Go by the name of Appreciate Us. We're sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to MoBetterSoul.com. Enter code NEGRO to save 10% on your next order. We Bro, got make sure the folks got your cash app. You be working out here oh, hard okay. out here for these people, man. Give cash them your app. cash app. Cash app, you boys. Dollar sign, Mo Better Soul, M-O-B-E-T-T-A-S-O-U-L. If you don't send me money, Napoleon's going to cuss you and, out. And listen, I'll throw mine in. Mine is N. Wells, Ph.D. Do not forget the Ph.D. <laughs> exactly. You get this good work going ahead and support it, man. God bless you. Yo, thank y'all for listening and shout out to the Knicks. Peace. I'm